What does the name Jethro bring to your mind? Is it the funky lyrics of Aqualung or Locomotive Breath accompanied by some rock and roll flute playing? Perchance, is it an 18th century British agriculturalist and inventor? Perhaps it's a story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer who barely kept his family fed and who also happened to have a nephew named Jethro that brought a impractical sartorial choice of using rope as a belt to Beverly Hills. The name Jethro is not one that burns up the lists of most popular baby names. So that's pretty much the limit of famous Jethros with the exception of Moses's father-in-law who advises Moses in today's scripture. Jethro was a Midianite priest. The Midianites were descendants of Midian, who was a son of Abraham and his wife Keturah, whom Abraham married after Sarah's death. The Midianites were a nomadic Hebrew people. As a young adult, Moses flees Egypt because he was witnessed beating an Egyptian slave overseer to death. He travels to Midia on the eastern side of the Sinai Peninsula, and there he assists Jethro's six daughters when some shepherds chase them and their sheep away from water at a well. After hearing this story from his daughters, Jethro invites Moses to dine with them. And Moses becomes a shepherd himself, marrying one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah. And they have two sons together. In the Midian desert, God calls Moses through a burning bush to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. You've likely heard that story. Today's scripture takes place as the Israelites are wandering in the desert. God has provided manna and quail for them to eat and water to drink, but Moses has not yet encountered God on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. These former slaves are coming to Moses for his wisdom and his judgment. In fact, Moses is meeting with them from sun up to sundown. Imagine, if you will, a long line of people snaking around the outside of Moses' tent, just waiting to bring them him their stories and their requests for justice. This is a people who have not received justice in their lifetimes. They are free from bondage, but although they have received salvation from Yahweh, their freedom brings with it new responsibilities and new concerns. They are a people freed from an oppressive structure, and they are a people who suffered a traumatic group experience. They are coming to Moses for judgment and guidance because there is no societal structure of their own in place. In a way, our story today is what takes place after the happily ever after. Cue Jethro's entrance, and he may or may not be wearing a rope belt. Our scripture today is from Exodus 18, verses 17 through 24. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing isn't good. You will end up totally wearing yourself out, both you and these people who you are with. The work is too difficult for you. You can't do it alone. 
Now listen to me and let me give you some advice. And may God be with you. Your role should be to represent the people before God. You should bring their disputes before God yourself. Explain the regulations and instructions to them. Let them know the way they are supposed to go and the things they are supposed to do. But you should also look among all the people for capable persons who respect God. They should be trustworthy and not corrupt. Set these persons over the people as officers of groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. They should bring every major dispute to you, but they should decide all minor cases themselves. This will be much easier for you, and they will share your load. If you do this, and God directs you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people will be able to go back to their homes much happier. Moses listened to his father-in-law's suggestions and did everything that he had said. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. Typically, the season of Easter is a time when we hear stories of Jesus. If you ask our third, fourth, and fifth graders, they will also share with you that the color of the season of Eastertide is white and that it ends with Pentecost. Each new church school year, we begin with the stories from the Hebrew scriptures, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah and Rachel, and Moses. The church school unit on Moses is typically six to eight weeks long, and even then, we really only hit the highlights. One of the things that I stress to our students is that we should refrain from looking at our faith forebears as Bible heroes. Instead, we can explore their experiences through the lens of ordinary people who had faith, who doubted, who listened to God's word, who didn't listen to God's word, and who sometimes really messed up big time. If God can work through these folks, it's a comfort to imagine God working through us as well. Often finding the lesser known parts of the stories of our faith ancestors and sharing those with our students makes these stories more relatable. So even though we're in the season of Eastertide, rather than focusing on a story about Jesus this morning, I'm focusing on a story that Jesus would have learned about himself. Perhaps this is a story that Jesus would have debated with his teachers and leaders in the temple as a 12-year-old while his parents were frantically searching for him when they discovered he was missing after Passover. If today's scripture were a movie, it would be a scene that was cut from the theatrical version. How can this scene compete with plagues and miracles and a dramatic flight to freedom? It shows character and relational development, but it doesn't really move the story along quick enough. 
Basically, it's fodder for the cutting room floor. Gee, Jethro's advice to Moses might make the director's cut of a movie, or perhaps it might be part of the making of behind-the-scenes biography. For this reason, I love to dig deeper into this lesser-known part of Moses' journey. It makes me happy to think of this relationship that Moses has with his father-in-law, Jethro. Because let's face it, in-law relationships are complex and oftentimes are used as easy tropes for laughs in movies and stories. Robert De Niro played an intimidating future father-in-law in the movie Meet the Parents. And that movie got the laughs and it got a sequel. When my husband John and I were engaged and then first married, one of our favorite movies to watch was by John Hughes called She's Having a Baby. It stars Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth McGovern as newlyweds. We quote this movie quite a bit, and you'll notice that if you ever hear us say, hey babe. There's a great suburban synchronized lawn mowing scene that was filmed in Evanston that still is relatable to us in the suburbs today. The scripture reminds me of a scene from this movie where Kevin Bacon's character, Jake, is grilling steaks for his parents and his in-laws. You can tell by the gruff and overbearing conversation that Jake's father-in-law dominates all mealtime conversation. Everyone else demurs and remains timid and quiet in the face of his bluster. Busting Jake's chops is a regular practice. Now, in the scene as they sit down to dine, Jake's father-in-law continues his critique of his southern-in-law as he's trying to cut his steak. You're quite the barbecue chef. What fascinates me is how you got it blood raw on one side and charred to a crisp on the other. What is this, grass? How does Jake's father-in-law make him feel? It should be no surprise that his steak has grass on it because Jake gave him the one that fell on the ground. But who can blame Jake when all he receives is criticism? Jake takes the opportunity to grill by himself outside rather than bonding with his father-in-law over barbecue pointers and grilling tips. Instead, Jake gives his steak that probably didn't pass the three-second rule to his father-in-law. Now, Moses' situation is different. It's a far cry from Jake's, and it's a good thing he has a father-in-law who not only invites him to dinner, but who also wants to help. The people of Israel are no longer, the people of Israel no longer have the common memory or experience of living in a self-governed society or community. Moses is leading a people who have been rescued from a generational trauma. As slaves, they were at the mercy of others, and mercy was lacking. They had no framework for being in community. They do have freedom, but it's overwhelming them, and they turn to Moses. Moses explains what he's doing to Jethro. He says, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when a conflict arises between them, they come to me, and I judge between the two of them. I also teach them God's regulations and instructions. So Moses is the prophet of God that the people love to hate, even sometimes threatening him with stoning at one point. But the people turn to Moses. 
They have the joy of freedom from slavery, but they want him to tell them what to do next because nothing is familiar. In fact, they'll stand around and wait all day for his advice and his guidance. Moses may be a reluctant prophet and leader, but he's bleeding himself dry, trying to serve God's people. Jethro observes that this is not sustainable. Moses cannot continue to do everything all by himself. He will wear himself out. And the people of God, as we know, have little patience. But perhaps more importantly, God has blessed the people themselves with numerous gifts. By relying solely on Moses, this redeemed community is denied the opportunity to discover their gifts and to serve and support each other. Jethro is a priest and a leader himself. He has developed administrative skills and gained wisdom through his life and experiences. Jethro's gifts, which have been nurtured from outside the chosen community of Israel, are no less gifts from God. Some would consider this worldly advice and question its place in the community of God's people. However, when I reflect on it, it reminds me of Jesus. When coming upon Simon and Andrew mending their nets, he invited them to join him to become fishers of people. It's not healthy for Moses or for God's people to continue to have Moses as their sole faith leader. It is not practical, nor is it possible, for the way of Jesus to be shared without disciples. Later on in the Pentateuch, there are hundreds of laws given to the Israelites to guide them in ways both mundane and spiritual. But at this time, without explicit guidance directly from God, it seems that Moses is less a hero and more of a bumbling administrator. But this does not mean that God is not at work in their daily lives. The New Interpreter's Bible Commentary observes that God often makes use of the wisdom, insight, imagination, and common sense of the Jethro's of this world to make the divine known, to be of assistance to the religious community and in the furtherance of its divine purposes. The U.S. national emergency response to the COVID pandemic ended last month. Although COVID continues to negatively impact lives, for the most part, we have returned to a pre-pandemic way of moving through life. On the surface, for many, things look normal. After over one million Americans lost their lives to COVID, grieving continues. After going through multiple interrupted school years, children and youth of all ages are still recovering and making up not only for educational losses, but also emotional and social ones. Though we have regained much of what we have lost, schools are in person, families can now gather together, we can travel and go to concerts and sporting events, we can worship together, we still have gone through a trauma together. Unlike the sudden cutoff of contact from each other in March 2020, these gains in normalcy have been gradual, and perhaps they've been most noticeable in the past six months. 
In our congregation, in December, we celebrated Christmas Eve with a pageant where the children didn't have to wear masks and where we didn't need to reserve seats in the pews. Last Sunday, our hearts were lifted to God as the music of our choir cantata once again soared in our sanctuary. Today, we presented Bibles to our students, and in a couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating our confirmants. These past five months have been an especial joy to those of us who serve the children and families. Each age demographic of society had its own special challenges during the isolation of the pandemic. Families were cut off from grandparents and teachers and classmates and support. Parents were not only parents, but teachers and playdates. I imagine that parents now feel like they're resurfacing as schools and church and extracurricular, extracurricular activities return that they once again can expand the lives of their family and explore their faith and find a faith community. Every Sunday, we who serve the children and youth experience the children's craving for community and relationships. Spending time with them in church school and fellowships, it's like watching flowers blossom under the attention of caring adults. I grew up in a small rural Presbyterian church in Northwest Indiana. Our youth group was tiny yet mighty. It consisted of both junior high and senior high students and maybe on a good night, there'd be one dozen of us. I loved youth group. We met on Sunday evenings and we played sardines in the church we cooked the breakfast that followed our Easter sunrise service. We went camping and had our tents destroyed in a thunderstorm. We went Christmas caroling to shut-ins. We helped decorate the church for Advent. We felt like we were an integral and important part of the congregation. I can still remember a conversation that we had one time with our youth group leaders. I don't remember what brought it about, but basically we, the youth, assumed out loud to our leaders that leading us was a lot of fun for them. I remember a bit of a pregnant pause and seeing some side eyes between our two leaders accompanied by some small smiles. So that did make us youth pause as it dawned on us that perhaps it may be a bit of work to herd this particular group of cats. Maybe leading a bunch of goofy teens wasn't the only way that someone might spend their Sunday evenings. But the important thing was how these leaders made us feel. We never for a moment thought that they weren't exactly where they wanted to be. To this day, I carry that conviction with me. I also carried a hope with me that our son Noah and our daughter Annabelle would find community with adults in our congregation who make them feel the same way about my youth as my youth group leaders made me feel. Now, as a high school student, I told children's sermons using my marionette, Freddie the Frog. I honestly can't even remember what made me think that I could lead a children's sermon in high school, but something or someone did. 
I volunteered for vacation Bible school. I served on our Christian education committee. Now, our kids are no longer kids, but they're young adults. Through the years, Noah and Annabelle have participated in youth fellowships, senior high discussion groups. They've gone on our whole lives retreats and week-long work camp. They've walked in the creek to the beach at all church retreat weekends at Tower Hill Camp. They also have volunteered at Vacation Bible School. They have preached, they've shared testimony, and they've served communion. They have church friends that they keep in regular contact with, and they have shared about our church to their friends who have been wounded by other faith traditions. They are a part of the body of Christ. They are a part of our congregation. And my heart rejoices at the ways our congregation supports them. Moses couldn't continue to be the sole caretaker of the people of God. Jethro came to him with kindness and a plan. Moses opened his heart and his ears. A traumatized and vulnerable people could begin to heal by imagining and creating a community where they could explore their gifts in service to each other. Imagine a community where the justice and the nature of God could be found in the daily interactions and connectedness of lives through relationships with each other, and especially through relationships with our children and youth. We too are in a place of opportunity for recreation and for reimagination as a faith community. As we rebuild church school and youth fellowship traditions, we are also reinventing them. We are offering new ways for young people to weave into the fabric of our faith community. Our returning summer youth intern ministry comes back in June. Our confirmands have the opportunity to participate in a weekend island retreat in the Upper Peninsula where they will swim and climb on ropes and eat meals outside and worship around a campfire and sleep in yurts. We are reintroducing our life-saving Our Whole Lives ministry, whose core values are self-worth, health, responsibility, justice, inclusivity. So, let us come closer to the Jethros in our lives who assure us that there is another way. The Jethros who have experienced God in their own lives. The Jethros who come to us with compassion and support. But not only that, let us become like Jethro, taking the time and care to name the gifts of others and to nurture our children and youth with our own gifts. Amen.